There's no better time to become a member of the DSR network. Later this month, we'll be announcing a major media partnership to our ever-expanding lineup of podcasts, bringing you even more insight and analysis than ever before. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, an evening newsletter recapping the day's top stories, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of October, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SPOOKY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SPOOKY. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf. It is Monday, and so, of course, we are talking about intelligence-related issues uh, with my co-host, Mark Palomaropoulos. How are you doing today, Mark? Well, the world has changed since we spoke last, that's for sure. And just like uh, many people predict that the Middle East, you know, when when a president or an administration wants to turn away from the Middle East, it sucks you back in. And so we are now in a full-bone, full-bore foreign policy crisis um, with really no end in sight. So lots to talk about today with with a great guest. Yes, absolutely. We are extremely fortunate to have as our guest, uh, Admiral James Winnefeld. He is a retired U.S. Navy admiral who served uh, 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 as the uh, ninth vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff um, from uh, August 2011 to July 2015. He currently serves as the chair of the uh, President's Intelligence Advisory Council. He's a distinguished professor at the Sam Nunn School of International Affairs at Georgia Tech, and he co-hosts the podcast, The Adrenaline Zone. Uh, welcome, Admiral. It's a real pleasure to be with you, David and Mark. Uh, I've looked forward to this. Uh, well, we have we have looked forward to having you uh, join us. Of course, we did not know uh, that the uh, discussion would end up being dominated by events such as those that took place in the Middle East over the weekend. Uh, and and I have to start there. Um, and there are obviously a lot of angles one can approach this. Uh, I've noticed uh, Mark has been quite vocal on one of them, and I think that's the one I'd like to start with you on. Uh, clearly, um, this was a, a, a unusual uh, turn of events on several levels within Israel. It was the largest, most comprehensive attack ever by Hamas. Um, but it was also uh, arguably the largest intelligence failure on the part of the Israelis since the Yom Kippur War. Um, they were completely blindsided by this. At least that's what it appears to be uh, now. There is a lot of anger in Israel about that. What's your take, Admiral? Uh, I, I agree 100% that this was an enormous intelligence failure on the part of the Israelis. It's, it's hard to believe that with all of the uh, intelligence capability that uh, Israel has in its various agencies, 
uh, how deeply we thought that they had actually penetrated uh, their you know adversaries, uh, that they wouldn't know this was coming. Uh, and you know there are reports out there that Hamas had been actually rehearsing this uh, for quite some time. So that to me brings uh, forward the question of was this a triumph of hope uh, and denial over uh, a realistic look at the enemy's intentions when all the signs are there that it's about to happen? It's worth studying to see how this has happened because it's happened in the past. Uh, you know, I've, uh, we in the West have a tendency, I think, to mirror image our own beliefs, behaviors, culture onto our adversaries, when in fact our adversaries are usually autocrats, authoritarian regimes who think completely differently. So we end up in situations like, well, Saddam Hussein is massing on the border, but there's no way he would invade Kuwait because that would be really stupid. Well, guess what? It happens. And so we have, I think, a, a, a very uh, dangerous tendency to look at things through the long, wrong lenses. And it's, it's, I think it's entirely possible that with hindsight, and hindsight being what it is, that the Israelis are going to go, you know, we really saw this coming, but our analysts uh, just didn't believe it could happen, so they didn't predict it. Well, and in fact, there's a lot of anger in Israel because a number of military leaders actually did predict it. And they went to Prime Minister Netanyahu and they said, this is a risk. And Prime Minister Netanyahu and his cabinet, who have a different agenda, a uh, more extremist agenda, more West Bank oriented, literally told them to go to hell. Uh, so that feeds into it as well. But let me ask you a follow-up question, uh, because it's not just Israeli intelligence. Uh, the Israelis work with other intelligence organizations, including our own, including the Qataris uh, with regard to Hamas. Um, it seemed like this whole panoply of engaged intelligence organizations also were caught flat-footed. Yes, and I, I think it, it crosses the boundary between human intelligence and you know other types of intelligence, signals intelligence, and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I honestly don't think that we have an awful lot of human intelligence penetration of Hamas, uh, and it's even very difficult in other places in the world that could be uh, related to this. So we would be tending to rely on on signals intelligence of some sort. And there are a lot of different types, as you know. Uh, so yeah, maybe it was out there. Maybe Hamas d did a really nice job of, um, you know, operational deception or security here. Uh, and it'll be, I haven't had a chance to go in and, and ask the, the team uh, what they saw happening and whether they were predicting it or not. But that's a very uh, important and open question. But I think you know, the real way you were going to get at this was human intelligence. And we, I just don't know that we're, we're really in there that well with some of these adversaries. It's get, as you know, it's human intelligence getting so much harder uh, than it ever has been. Yeah. Mark? So, you know, as, I, as I've kind of processed this over the last couple of days, you know, my first inclination was, was to look right at the Israelis, uh, particularly Shin Bet. Um, and Israeli military intelligence, they, they're, you know, they're, they're, their focus is on, uh, is on Gaza and the West Bank. That's what they do. Mossad is much less focused on that. Mossad really does Iran. But uh, and having, you know, work with the Israelis very closely, um, I was shocked because they have this incredible kind of network of human intelligence, signals intelligence, uh, as the Admiral noted, but also sensors along the border, drones. Um, they have blanketed basically a 25 by four mile uh, uh, tiny piece of territory with kind of the most sophisticated intelligence apparatus and it failed. And so I think there's going to be some 
uh, some accounting for this. And again, as the Admiral said, it's right that, you know, perhaps it's on the cutting room floor, perhaps it was collected, perhaps it was, the analysis was wrong. There will be an investigation just like there was after the 1973 war, um, uh, where uh, Israeli intelligence uh, failed there as well. But there's one other point in this. I almost, I've been thinking over the last 24 years, this is almost, you know, a regional Pearl Harbor or 9-11. And as, as is noted, David, as you noted, you know, in my time uh, uh, as a CIA case officer in the region, I worked very closely with the Palestinians, um, with the Israelis, with the Jordan, Jordanians, and with the Egyptians. And, and in particular in Egypt, they have an extensive intelligence presence and apparatus uh, uh, looking at, at Gaza. So it's not just, frankly, uh, the Israelis that missed it. It is, it is very much the region's intelligence services um, who actually are very good as well. So I think looking back, there's there's questions all, all around. If I was, you know, the king of Jordan, I would ask GID, did you miss this? Um, again, the, the Jordanians have a huge stake in what happens with the Palestinians because of the number of Palestinians in Jordan. So, you know, this is one of those kind of moments in the intelligence world where you where you look back and as what the admiral said before is, you know, there there's a there, this is a failure of the ages and and you know, as we are now hurtling down a path in which, you know, there's not only going to be, I think, a, 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 you know, Israeli land incursion into Gaza. The northern border in the last five, about five or six hours is heating up. Um, it looks like there are Hezbollah incursions. And there's this Wall Street Journal report out there that is getting all sorts of attention um, that the Israelis are frankly pushing all over Washington that that uh, about Iranian complicity. So we can have a, in, in essence, a major regional war. And going back to what is intelligence? Intelligence is the nation's first line of defense. If we had stopped this, none of this happens. Yeah. You know, I think there's three other you know, questions or points uh, on my mind. And, and that is, uh, you know, you, you don't normally think of Hamas as a disciplined military organization, you know, a classical, you know, thing. So what were they telling their people uh, in order to keep this so tightly under wraps? It, it was actually, I think, fairly impressive on Hamas's part that they were able to even though they were rehearsing it and there were probably things that, that the Israelis and others were in denial about, they still managed to make it a surprise. So that, that to me was kind of an eye opener. Another thing is, is uh, the big question, and this goes to your last point, Mark, about Iran, is why did they decide to do this now? Um, and, you know, I think most of the speculation, and I agree with it, centers on somebody out there, whether it was Iran or Hamas, uh, deathly, uh, afraid that the Israeli-Saudi rapprochement was about to actually happen and, and could not tolerate that and needed to find a way to throw a wrench into that machinery. And this is a beautiful tactic to do exactly that. How, where, you know, cause the, the Saudis now are really on the spot. They can't continue with this in the near future while, you know, their Arab brothers who they actually despise, by the way, uh, are, are being, you know, uh, at, at war with Israel. So that was a pretty uh, amazing move. And I think the other thing for us that it really points out is it's a reminder that when your country falls into you know, deep political divisions, as Israel has, it really deeply distracts from the mission of the government, which is to look after the security and the prosperity of its people. And we have to watch that here. We're dangerously close to being there as a nation ourselves. You know, while the world is you know, burning around us, our political class is still in the kindergarten playground uh, you know, in order to preserve their jobs. And, and I think that is the biggest threat to our national security uh, with everything uh, that we need to do derived from that. It's sort of you know, what Richard Nixon called the silent majority. You know, somebody, you know, those people need to stand up, uh, particularly the political class, and do something about this because we do risk falling into the same trap the Israelis have just fallen into in that regard. 
Yeah, I think we're beyond risking it. I mean, the, you know, we're we the, there is such political dysfunction that we don't have uh, senior level military officers getting confirmed as they should be, so they're not in place. Um, and uh, you know, yesterday in the wake of this thing, there was immediately a major push um, by the uh, uh, Republican Party to say, "Oh, well, this has to do with the six billion dollars that was um, to be." forwarded to the Iranians um, as part of the prisoner release, totally ignoring the fact that the money has not yet been distributed, totally ignoring the fact that when it is distributed, it's not going to be distributed. Uh, it's not the, actually it, cash. Right. It's not cash. And it's also <laughs> yeah. it's also going to be monitored extremely carefully. But yeah. let me go back to this point that uh, that uh, Mark just brought up and, and raise a question. Um, you know, this operation was extremely carefully concealed. And yet within 24 hours of this operation, the Wall Street Journal has a story saying Iran's behind it. This, you know, sort of strains credulity a little bit. uh, And it makes one believe, um, uh, particularly knowing how these things work with the Wall Street Journal, that this is a story that was fed to them um, by the Israelis. I think this is particularly crucial um, because I think there's going to be two things coming out of this, and I'd be interested in your view on this, uh, uh, given your military background. The, one is the Israelis are going to go into Gaza, and they're going to do this in a brutal way. They've already announced that they're going to essentially turn off water, electricity, and food to Gaza, um, uh, thus almost in an instant losing whatever international sympathy and support they may have had for the attacks. Um, But as Mark says, if they go after the Iranians, this could become a regional conflict. And so the issue of whether there is, in fact, any substantiated link to the Iranians becomes absolutely crucial. Uh, And the United States government, by the way, has been quite cautious on this and has said we don't have that information. Deputy National Security Advisor John Finer was on television this morning saying, we, we don't have that evidence as of yet. What's your thought on these points? Well, first of all, it, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if Iran uh, either knew about it or, in fact, uh, encouraged Hamas to do it. I wouldn't be surprised by that. But I think, it, as you point out, it's a little bit premature to be announcing that publicly because, if, well, if you knew this, then why didn't you do something about it? Why didn't you prepare yourself to stop it in the first place? So there's a little chicken and an egg or, or a cart and a horse or whatever there. I think one of the things we have to be, be mindful of is, is the classic Israeli behavior of whenever they think the United States is getting soft on Iran, whether it's backing off of pressure on the nuclear program or whether it's uh, you know get, giving ostensibly $6 billion in relief or whatever you want to call it to, the, to Iran, they tend to act out and do something. Uh, you know, whenever they're worried about uh, Iran's nuclear program, sometimes they'll do a practice strike out over the Mediterranean. And we go, oh, no, 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 we don't, we can't tolerate an Israeli strike on Iran that would you know, put the region in flames. So we'll be a little tougher on Iran. Or we'll show you a little bit more about what our capabilities are to take out Iran's capability if we ever need to do that. So I think there is that, you know, this is, this is an opportunity for Israel to bring Iran into this just to, to, you know, in classic behavior, buttress United States resolve against Iran. I I would doubt it would have to be a real smoking gun here for the Israelis to actually take any physical 
uh, action against Iran. Uh, they would tend to do that under the under the radar, and we certainly would probably not, unless it was just a very obvious, blatant smoking gun that they had instigated this. But but of course they were probably uh, aware, if not um, encouraging it. So I think there's you know the way to look at this is, from the analytic perspective is. Is it going to be, you know, was Iran merely in its previous support role, um, which has been the assessment, which is very significant, of course, uh, because that means money, training, logistics. Um, or did they, as the Wall Street Journal report uh, indicates, direct and give the green light? And so the degree in, in what the, the, the actual, and this is important, the two intelligence communities uh, assess, because you don't have just the U.S., you have the Israeli uh, intelligence community. So I, I, in, in some ways, as, uh, as I've been thinking about this, I think there's, while the U.S. is in lockstep now with Israeli moves on Gaza, I think this issue of Iran uh, uh, in, in, the, in the weeks to come may drive, or the, we, we may see some daylight between, between the two, because the Israelis are clearly pushing this. Let's make no mistake. We all live in Washington. The Israelis are, over the last 24 hours, have pushed this report. David is 100% right. He lives in this world as well uh, of the media. Um, so what happens if there is a divergence between the two communities? And, and I'll throw something out, and I, you know, I, I'm going back and forth in this because I do think it is really important to get this right. The stakes are very high. But don't forget the U.S. went to war in Afghanistan against the Taliban for far less on what the Taliban was helping al-Qaeda than how Iran helps Hamas. Let's just keep that in perspective. The Taliban gave safe haven to al-Qaeda. Not much more. Maybe training camps, some assistance. Hamas gets an enormous amount of support for Iran. So I think that's what you're going to see, the Israeli argument, uh, if there's no smoking gun, that perhaps it doesn't matter. Anyhow, this is something certainly um, worth pursuing. Uh, Admiral Winterfeld, one, one quick note. I think you can, you can uh, help the audience on something that, that not many of us uh, really understands. What is it like right now at the White House? What is it like in those situation room meetings? You have been there uh, for national security crises. Um, you know, uh, 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 how does that go? Who has the influence? Um, you know, this is, this is certainly a 24 seven environment. The situation changes rapidly. Give us a sense of what you think the administration is facing, um, right now in a, in a rapidly, you know, escalating situation. Yeah. Uh, it would be tough to be in Jake Sullivan's shoes right now. He's a very, very busy man. Um, but you know, one of the, one of the interesting things is these things tend to happen on weekends. Uh, and I, you know, <laughs> When I actually had two, uh, as the vice chairman, break glass books that I asked my team to put together. One was on Korea, and the the other one was on an Israeli strike into Iran. Because uh, at the time I was the vice chairman, that was very much in play, and and I just knew that on a Friday night, you know, BB was going to be calling Barack and saying, "Hey, I uh, thought you'd like to know, wheels are in the well. We're on our way to Iran." And then what do you do? And we we actually played uh, a war game uh, associated with that because I was concerned that people hadn't thought all the way through the implications of something like that. Like, what if the Israelis failed to, to take out the nuclear program? Now would they be expecting us to, to you know, finish the job? And the answer would probably would have been, no, <laughs> you did this. Uh, and what would, it, what would be the implications for our forces in the Arabian Gulf? How do you move those guys? You know, that kind of, so it was really useful to do that. And then to have the break glass, because I didn't want to show up on a Saturday morning at a deputies committee meeting with no answers, because all the questions get you know, turned to the military. What are we going to do about this? So I would imagine that as soon as um, those uh, you know, Hamas folks started moving, not long afterwards, that there was a deputies committee meeting called, because the principals are all over the place, and they don't do the work anyway. It's the deputies that do the work. And there was an awful lot of 
intelligence uh, analysis at the initial meeting where they tr try to discern what actually is happening here. What are the implications? And then there are a lot of, uh, you know, what ifs that get played out. One of the things that I hope they're doing and that is not um, normally done very well is to, before you look at options, is to look at history and to look at where U.S. vital national security interests are and how those play out to, to help kind of guide the, the discussion when you, before you actually start getting into options. But there, there will be a, a lot of really good ideas around the table from actually what is a pretty smart group of people. Whenever I, whatever it's the George Bush administration or it was the Barack Obama administration, there were a lot of smart minds around that table coming up with uh, good, you know, what, what we need to be doing right now. Uh, so uh, a little chaotic, but measured. And they're sitting in a room and they're talking, talking this through. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think we should underscore that um, as closely coordinated as the U.S. and the Israelis are, the U.S. isn't making the decision for the Israelis. The Israelis are acting on their own. This government has already, as I indicated earlier, uh, re revealed themselves yet again to have rather extreme views. Uh, and that brings me to my next question. Um, typically, when these things happen, the response of the Israelis, and this is part of the Hamas or other terrorist calculus, is overkill. Um, and that has a political purpose associated. The whole intifada was, in fact, driven by the idea that if you have kids throwing rocks at tanks, the tanks ultimately will fire back and it will be on video, right? And that that will not look good. Well, here we've got a, a, a really, really delicate situation. There are 2 million people living in close quarters, the most densely populated area on earth. Many of the buildings have civilian populations, you know, uh, interact with uh Hamas and and other uh, potentially uh, military operations. Is there a proportional appropriate response that the U.S. should be urging on the Israelis? Um, or is it inevitable that this thing becomes, uh, you know, kind of, uh, 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 egregious bloodbath with a lot of um, collateral casualties. Yeah, it's a good uh, good question. And I think if you go back to sort of first principles, there, there are, there's a nuclear analogy here, you know, counterforce, countervalue, right? And right now, uh, counterforce would be the Israelis purely going after Hamas military targets, realizing that there's there can be collateral damage. You know, the uh, international law of war prohibits you from intentionally targeting civilian targets, which is exactly what Hamas has been doing, by the way. But the Israelis have to, st you know, that's one pathway is strict counter value or counter force. If you go counter value, the political purpose of that counter value is to get the, the people of Gaza to realize that Hamas has let them down as leaders and they need to be overthrown through some kind of popular movement. I don't see that happening. Uh, I just don't see it. Uh, you know, the Hamas ideology has seeped into the, the culture of Gaza, and you're not going to convince those people to overthrow their leadership, even though their leadership maybe did a, a terrible blunder. So it is a delicate question. It's an important question. 
not only uh, for the strict objectives of the Israelis, but also, as you pointed out, David, the perception of the world of the Israelis' actions and who keeps the moral high ground here. It'll be interesting to see what is, is uh, said in the Security Council this week. I'm sure there will be an immediate meeting. And, and who's defending whom here uh, in terms of, of who's got the moral high ground? And it's just in Israel's interest, realizing that if you take out a, a, a mosque where Hamas has a command and control center, that you're probably going to have some collateral damage and you're probably going to have some bad perceptions from the rest of the world. But um, they've got to go after those guys. What is, what is your sense now in terms of the, uh, the military to military? communications between the U.S. and Israel. I mean, you probably would have been on your on the phone with your Israeli uh, uh, counterpart. Is it is it not? I mean, you know, for example, uh, uh, I could easily see there's and there have been requests made from the Israelis for for more weapons for replenishment. And I think that uh, Department of Defense and, and Lloyd Austin has announced that's coming. What about, though, in terms of American hostages there? This is something that I've I've really been kind of struggling with. Um because because we do care, of course, about the Israeli hostages, but now you have the American hostages. There's a legal issue behind this. The FBI is now going to be involved with Americans who are killed. Um, would there be U.S. Special Operations Forces kind of put on alert? Uh, uh, you know, what does the U.S. do now uh, uh, with Israel about to go into Gaza? And now, you know, with with uh, uh, I think we don't know the exact number with, with clearly U.S. Uh, citizens being held. Yeah. So. Um First of all, on the military to military side, yeah, there would be a lot of phone calls. And most of those phone calls, uh, the, the topics would may, maybe be a per, an, an update from the Israeli military and what they're seeing and what they're doing. But there would also be requests for assistance and uh, concerns expressed over this uh, turning into a wider regional conflict and, uh, you know, uh, requests for support there. So you've seen uh, U.S. militaries moved. You know, an aircraft carrier in that direction, and and all you know, some associated ships that go with that carrier. It's hard to imagine the U.S. aircraft carrier carrying out strikes in inside Gaza. You know, the purpose of that is to send a strong signal of you know, don't let this become a regional conflict. And probably the greater value of of the ships that go along with that aircraft carrier is their missile defense capability, because they can augment you know uh, is Israel's own strategic ballistic missile defense against Iran quite credibly. So it'll be good to have those cruisers and destroyers there who are capable of that. The aircraft carrier is just a, sort of a symbol. Uh, I'm, I'm certain that the you know, JSOC and others are, are intensely working right now to understand the situation. I would be a little surprised, very surprised, if you saw U.S. Special Operations Forces going into Gaza to rescue American hostages unless you know, uh, they'll plan it, unless it, it looks like the risk to the mission and the risk to the force can be mitigated down very low for uh, such a rescue operation, that that wouldn't happen. And then I think the final thing to consider is that um, I don't think Israel or the U.S. are going to want to appear to be restrained by the notion that there are a few hostages captured by Hamas. How many Israelis has been, have been killed already? You know, it's, it's in the high hundreds, at least. And, you know, you hate to be callous about it. Uh, and obviously, we care deeply about our people. Israelis care deeply about their people. But I think you know those hostages are probably going to take a back seat to containing this thing and and getting it back under control. And you may lose some of those people, sadly, uh, because you're up against a very brutal, uh, fairly uncivilized uh, group of people in Hamas who won't hesitate to kill a hostage. Yeah. Um, 
even as we're doing this because it's a fluid situation, stories cross um, the wire and uh, uh, there is one now that is circulating that seems plausible that the Egyptians warned the Israelis that this was going to happen. And the Israelis were very focused on the West Bank and minimized the threat from Gaza. Uh, And in fact, there were other stories that said that the Israelis uh, had in fact redeployed a lot of military from the south to the West Bank because a centerpiece of the the, the Netanyahu administration's goals was was going to be a further annexation um, of, uh, of 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 communities there. Um, this is the point in the podcast where we take a break. Uh, for those of you who are listening who are not members, uh, we encourage you to become a member. Go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership. I think it's $5 a month. You get to hear the whole of these podcasts. And as you can tell from today's podcast, you don't want to miss that. Um, the, 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 the opportunity to discuss this issue in real time with somebody of uh, Admiral Winnefeld's background uh, is really extraordinary to go into the kind of depth you don't normally get on other media outlets. And so we encourage you to go and do that. Um, uh, but for now, if you're not a member, thanks for having joined us and bye-bye. And if you are a member, uh, stand by. <laughs>